Did you hear about the third grade class that had show and tell? One of the kids decided to bring in what she thought was an empty hornet's nest. Yeah, turns out it wasn't, and it was not a pretty picture. While that was certainly a big fail, when others can experience something for themselves, rather than just being told something, it holds a lot more water. If you want to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, you can't just tell people you have faith. You have to show people that you have faith. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. God is calling his followers into the world to serve in the dark places where light and hope are needed most. This week, Charles Tapp examines just how powerful the gospel really can be when the church becomes determined, not just to tell people about it, but to show it to them as well. As he continues with the fourth part in this series, Going Beyond the Walls, with his message, Show and Tell. Today we begin part four of our series, Going Beyond the Walls. And as we've done so in the previous installments of this series, I want us to go back and revisit a passage from the previous week's message. So I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 as we'll be looking at verses 13 to verse 15. Jesus speaking these words as he says, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, its effectiveness, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be what, everybody? Hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. As we mentioned on last week, Jesus here in Matthew chapter 5 is unfolding for his disciples as well as the wider audience what is expected of someone who has the desire to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And when we talk about kingdom we're not talking about a place as much as we're talking about the place that Jesus desires as well as deserve to have in each and every one of our lives for the kingdom that Jesus is talking about here is dominion it is about rulership it is about ruling our lives and establishing his kingdom in us and when the kingdom of God is established in our lives, the natural outcome, the natural byproduct of that is that we will begin to align our wills with the will of God. That's why Jesus prayed in the Lord's Prayer. He said, pray this way. Say, your kingdom come, what? Your will be done. And when we pray that portion of the prayer, we're saying, God, I want you to, to establish your rule in my life. And I know if you do that, that the outcome of that will be, I will now begin to align my will with your will. 
And as I shared on last week, Matthew chapter 5 is a piece of a larger body of work that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. Some even refer to this passage of Scripture in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 as the constitution of the kingdom of God. For in it, God has given us the qualities as well as the practices that characterize an individual's life who wants to be a citizen of the kingdom. And although Jesus lists these qualities, when they are realized, they produce a sense of happiness of a life that is blessed. We see that in the context of the Beatitudes where Jesus says, blessed are, happy are they that mourn, blessed are those who are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. And now he begins to shift to a more abstract description of the kingdom of God where he rules in our lives. The Beatitudes, I would call them the prerequisites to being part of the kingdom of God. But now we've got the actual characteristics here. Jesus says, here they are. You are now the salt of the earth. You now that you are a citizen of the kingdom of God, you are supposed to be the light of the world. And Jesus here is inviting his audience then, as well as those of us today, to reimagine our role in the world as being agents of both the redemption of humankind as well as agents of the reconciliation of mankind. And it is clear in Jesus' description here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to verse 15, that being the salt of the earth is not an option. Rather, it is a divine imperative from Jesus himself. Notice he did not say you should be salt or light or, you know, I would like for you to be salt or light. He says, no, in a very forceful and clear way, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And in essence here, Jesus, in saying that we are salt and light, is describing the impact that citizens of the kingdom of God are to have in the world, in the community, in the culture, in which they lived. And it's our job to go and establish his kingdom in the hearts of every man, woman, boy, and girl. So as salt is this powerful preservative which acts equally as a seasoning agent, Jesus is telling us to go into the world, to go into our culture, and to preserve not the culture of the age, but help to preserve the culture of the kingdom of God. And while we're at it, he says, add a little flavor to this bland world. I don't know about you, but eating food, certain foods with no salt, just doesn't cut it. I know some of us have to cut back on the salt, but the point that Jesus is making here is that when we show up as citizens of the kingdom of God, we're supposed to add a little spice to the culture. You and I are supposed to have more impact on the culture in which we're a part of than the culture has on us. 
But sadly, in too many cases, it appears as though the culture in which we live has more impact in our culture. And then Jesus says, you're supposed to be the light of the world. Basically, he's telling us that we're supposed to provide light to a world that has been eclipsed by darkness. But what I'm discovering in this age in which we live, too many of us are afraid to be light because we are afraid of the dark. And when you think about it, light does its best work, not in the light, but in the midst of what? In the midst of darkness, but we're afraid. So what we do is we huddle together with other lights and we spend most of our time in the company of other lights and we're all blinding each other with the light instead of going to where there is darkness and shedding light. And here's the thing about shedding light. You don't have to be a great light in order to shed light. You can just turn on your cell phone in a pitch dark black room and it will light up the room. That's all it takes and that's all that Jesus is asking of us. This is not an invitation on the part of Jesus. He's saying that if you're a citizen of the kingdom and you've gone through the prerequisites of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom, you're supposed to add some flavor to this world, wherever your world is, whatever job you go on throughout the week, that place is supposed to be a different place because you are there. Maybe the word different is not the word I need to use this morning. That place should be a better place, amen? Because some of us may make a difference, but it might not be a better difference. And God expects us to be salt and light. And by saying salt and light, here's the message that Jesus is telling us today, that you and I are not supposed to detach ourselves from the culture. That's why he used these two powerful metaphors, salt and light. Salt, in order to make a difference, has to be close. It has to be intimate. It has to make impact. And Jesus says, I don't want you to remain in the shaker. I want you to get in close and touch people and make a difference in their lives. Too many times the church thinks that its job is to just bring people here to the building, the edifice, the church, forgetting that you and I are the church. And we are to go to people and to impact them just as salt and light have such a powerful impact. That's what we're supposed to be as citizens of the kingdom of God, which I believe makes a, a great transition for our next passage that we want to focus on in today's message. So I invite you to turn with me to the book of James, James chapter 2, verses 14 to verse 19. Look at what the Word of God has to say. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have what? Works. Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you says to them, oh, depart in peace, be warm and filled 
but you do not give them the things which they are needed for the body, what does it profit? In other words, what does your faith profit? Thus, also by faith itself, if it does not have works, it is what? Dead. In some versions, it literally says it is dead faith. Verse 18, but someone will say, uh, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Look at verse 19. James says, you believe that there is one God. Give yourselves a hand, James says. You believe in God, praises, you do well. But then he throws in the catch. Well, even the devils believe that. In other words, James is saying, what has it profited you? What has your faith really proven? What difference has your faith made? And if you really want to put this into a greater context, go back to chapter 2 of James, and let's take a look at verses 1 to verse 4. Look at what he says at the very beginning of this chapter. He says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ the Lord of glory with what? Partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with what? Gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a man, a poor man, in what kind of clothes? Filthy clothes. And you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, uh, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, uh, uh, you stand there, or better yet, why don't you sit at my footstool? Now, I know that would never happen here at Sligo Church. Amen? Amen. Let's go to verse 4. James says, have you not shown what? Partiality among yourselves and become judges, he says, with evil thoughts. Now, to really understand what he's saying here, James is providing his audience with an example of what real, genuine, living faith is not. He's saying it's not a faith that shows partiality. It's not a faith that ignores the poor while giving the best place to those who appear to be rich. And I say appear to be rich because richness in the sight of God is not based on what is on the outside. Richness in God's eyes are what is based upon what goes on on the inside. And only God knows for sure. And only God can be the determining factor in that. You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Show and Tell. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Man, when I think about WGTS, I think about family. And uh, WGTS lifts me up. The whole crew has truly been a blessing in my life. And um, I'm forever grateful for WGTS and what they do for myself and for the community. support makes a difference. I always uh, encourage people, like, you want to listen to something, be encouraged when you're going through a tough time, starting 91.9, um, they're definitely up with the spirits. And uh, especially in the trying time we're in right now in society. Working together to impact the nation's capital. We are family. And 
I am forever grateful for, for the WGS family because that's exactly what it is, a family. And we get to be a part of that as listeners, which is, is amazing. Listener funded, WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. At 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life. And this week, Charles Tapp examines the power the gospel can have when the church becomes determined, not just to tell people about it, but to show it to them as well. As he concludes his message, show and tell. Richness in God's eyes are what is based upon what goes on on the inside. And only God knows for sure. And only God can be the determining factor in that. Now in verses 14 to 19, he demonstrates to us what real faith is like. He says real faith, meaning a relationship that has been forged with a love for God, cannot be content when a poor person comes in and is in need of food and we just simply say, my brother, I will pray for you. Go in peace. James says, is that really genuine faith? But he says, real, genuine faith, the relationship that has been forged in the love that one has for God and that God has for them has to be, he says, accompanied by works. Please don't miss this. Not just any works, but works that directly correspond to our love for God and God's love for us. In essence, James is saying that saving faith in God is more than a theological transaction for our salvation, but rather it's a faith that produces concrete evidence, concrete proof that this transaction of our salvation has already taken place. In other words, James is saying Saving faith has to result in a distinctive life. And here's what I believe is at the heart of what James is saying in a nutshell. That when it comes to the authenticity of our faith, it is more than just telling someone we have faith. We have to be able to show them that we have faith. How many of you played the game show and tell when you were growing up? You have just shown your age. When I would go to school, our teacher would tell us, you know, tomorrow show and tell. And she would say, I need you to bring something that you value, something that you hold dear. Some even brought in dogs and other pets, you know. And we would stand there before her and we would take whatever object we had brought and we would begin to to tell the entire class what it was where it came from, and what it meant for us. I thought she was just giving us time to have fun, Larry. I had no idea that she was teaching us how to become public speakers because she wanted us to describe the thing with as much detail as we possibly could. It wasn't until many years later when I became an adult and I went, wait a minute, no, no. I thought it was just for fun. She was trying to teach us something. But what really made this game of show and tell so powerful, it wasn't just the fact that we came and told our classmates about the thing that we held dearly, but we had the opportunity to show them as well. And James is saying here 
And he's reiterating basically what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, that if you want to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, you can't just tell people you have faith. You have to show people that you have faith. There has to be some action. There has to be some work that comes along with your faith in order for it to be seen as genuine, real, authentic faith. In other words, we can't just tell people that the good words of the gospel, we've got to show them the good works of the gospel. It cannot come alone. Many of you may know I grew up, although I was born in Indiana, I don't know much about Indiana. We left when I was eight months old, they tell me. But we grew up in Missouri, in St. Louis, Missouri. And I remember learning as a child that our state had a motto, and the motto of Missouri is what? It's the show me state. Are you from Missouri, or did you just learn that in school? It's the show me state. And whenever I would go around to college and other places when I was a young person, people would ask me, where are you from? I would say to them, I'm from Missouri. I'm from the show me state. And they would ask me, what do you mean the show me state? And I would explain to them, we don't just take things at face value. We don't just take your word for stuff from Missouri. You got to show us in order for us to believe, Sparky. And that's what James is saying. We live in such a cynical, callous world. You can't just tell people you have faith. There has to be some works, what Paul referred to as fruit. There's got to be some evidence that the kingdom of God is in you in order for them to believe that your faith is real. It takes more than just words. It takes more than just arguing or debating truth. If we're going to make a difference beyond the walls of our church, beyond the walls of our, this congregation, we've got to have some good works along with our good news. Jesus said, if we're going to truly impact the culture, a very cynical culture, especially today, it's going to take more than telling them. We've got to show people that we care. I know you've heard me say this time and time again. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And then you have the right to say, come and follow me as I follow Christ. Then your faith has been made real. Recently, I was watching a, a video with my youngest daughter, Victoria, who's an adult. And within the video, someone mentioned a phrase that seems somewhat unfamiliar to me, and it said, they said, we're part of the cancel culture. Have you heard that before? And I looked at her, I was, I was pretending like I was woke and I knew what was going on, you know. But I really didn't, so I had to look it up later. The cancel culture is this phenomenon that is taking place in our society today where if someone doesn't like your opinion, they don't like your views, they don't like your music, they don't even like the books that you've written, they will go out and have a boycott on social media and they will in turn cancel you. 
and they will get so much support because of social media, many a person's career has gone into the tank because they have been canceled. Now to be canceled doesn't mean that the person no longer exists. But what it does mean is that in their minds, the minds of the counselor, they no longer exist. They are irrelevant. But as I was thinking about it this week in preparation for today's message in our series here, here's the thought that hit me. Is the church being canceled by today's culture? Better yet, have we already been canceled, but they haven't let us know? And that can take place because we're so disconnected from the culture that if they canceled us, we wouldn't even know we were canceled. And in many a person's mind in our society, in our world today, the church is irrelevant. Sometimes we're irrelevant to them because of the stands we have taken. Other times we're irrelevant because of the stances we have not taken. And many, a young adult in our church today is leaving, has left because we become irrelevant and they have canceled us. We think that if we can have an argument over the truths of God's word or, or have some kind of oral presentation that that's what the world is going to respond to today. Oh, no, no, no. Maybe 50 years ago, but not today. For the culture today says, I don't need you to tell me you have genuine faith. I want to see that genuine faith. Don't just tell me that the gospel is for the poor. Show me what you mean by that. That's why James says it's not enough that when a person comes poor and naked to you and you just tell them, well, I'll pray for you, go and be warm. And many a time, that's the message that the church has sent to the culture, to the community. We'll just pray for you behind these four walls. And we haven't done much to make an impact on our community and the culture. But here's the problem. For so long, we've been told to stay away from the dark. Foolishness. How can we be light? What good is our light if we're not going to be willing to go to places where there is darkness? Because sometimes the only sermon somebody will hear is you not preaching, but showing them. God's asking us to take the kingdom culture to the world and to let the kingdom culture change it. We've been challenging ourselves over the last several weeks to have the kind of faith that doesn't stay behind the four walls, but the kind of faith that goes beyond the walls and is catching on here at Sligo. People are starting their own ministries and going out People are coming together that already have ministries here and they're saying, Pastor, how can we go beyond the walls? Every week we hear that now. We want to go beyond the walls. And I can't wait until the day when people walk past this church and somebody says to them, what's that building there? And somebody says, I don't know the name of it, but that's the church that helped me when I was in need. That's the church that came to my son's school and helped us learn English. That's the church that gave us health seminars. That's 
the church that provided food for us. I don't know what the name is. I don't know the pastor. I don't know the leaders. But I know this. Jesus is with them. And that will happen. That can happen. If the kingdom of God takes root in our lives, in our hearts, it can't help but to transform us into salt and light. And we'll be salt and light wherever we go without even trying, with no strings attached. It will just be the natural thing to do. Who says amen to that today? You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, Show and Tell. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. In order to have true unity, there has to be diversity. And in order for unity and diversity to coexist, there has to be love. You've heard the phrase, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. But how does the church find unity when there are others who come from other backgrounds or might do things differently than we do? Next week, Charles Tapp tackles this question and explains how the early church dealt with these very same issues as he shares a two-part series of messages titled, When in Rome with part one, Rooted and Grounded. Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.